Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Maridisas? This is Kian Sobani. Happy Friday. Got a little treat for you guys heading into the weekend. Here's a compilation of clips from Wednesday's live Zoom call, which went up over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. We did one and a half hours of Q&A live on the call. It was great speaking with you all. Thanks for joining. And here are a few segments of it. Not the whole thing, just a few segments. And if you're interested in joining our weekly Zoom call, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. All right, let's get to it. Um, so the question is essentially, should the team go in a different direction than having Cruz and move to a more modernized number eight, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something on the likes of City and Barcelona, maybe. Uh, it, depends on, it, it depends on how you want to play. If you want to cruise it, if you want to, you know, we talk about Cruz's would be good to be press resistant and stuff like that. And he was against Barcelona. Um, despite not being good defensively in that situation. Um, I think the the inverse of that is more true. If you want to play uh, a high line and you want to break down a low block, I think Cruz is actually really good for that because he is a really good presser and he can control games from that position. Whereas I never liked the idea of putting Cruz in a scheme where he has to chase shadows defensively. That's on his, that's, there's no point of him being on the field. Because I think, like, while he's press resistant in that situation to escape the press, um, I think it kind of undervalues and underrates the ability of our backup midfielders to be press resistant too. It's not like there's a massive drop off if you put Kamavinga uh, as an eight or Sabayas as an eight or Fede Valverde as an eight in terms of press resistancy. Um, it's certainly not enough to justify the trade-off of the defensive drop-off that Cruz would provide in that position. On the flip side, if you play uh, a game that is high-pressing and controlling in the final third, Cruz is actually better for that role, in my opinion. The, the challenge is not that he can not he can or can't do that. He can do that. But the challenge is, is the sustainability and how long he'll last in a scheme like that. And I think that's kind of what happened in the first leg against Barcelona was that we controlled it. Cruz and Modric were the linchpins of that, and they did well. But in by the second half, they were both exhausted. And you can kind of see when Barcelona scored, or I think 
they was it Kessier who scored the disallowed goal or or something like that in the second half. Yeah. We were just on running on fumes. The midfield was running on fumes at that point. So you can't sustain it with, and that's the challenge. It's not that they can't do, but they can't sustain it. So if you're gonna do that, you have to make the subs early. Um, but look, like this this idea of like the more dynamic, more modern midfielder that plays the box to box and kind of can do everything. Um, I think that's where that's where there's an argument to be made. Where you again, I've been saying this for a long time. I don't think you can put Cruz and Modric together. And I think where there's confusion is that that is by some evident, um, but and by others, it's it's seen as slander to one of those two. And, and I just want to say it's not slander to either of those two great players who are still playing at a very, very high level. And I think there's a real case that you want at least one of them on the field for experience, organization, veteran presence. But from the dynamic of being able to dominate your opponents um, over the, the stretch of the 90 minutes, I don't think, I think you have right. to break those two apart. And maybe maybe one of them comes in with the bench mob just to split it up. Because my argument has been long that... I don't think Ancelotti is putting his best players on the field together at the same time for long enough stretches. Whereas like when you see that domination, quote unquote domination, we had at the end of the last class to go in the last like 15 minutes or so. I think you have to look at that and say, how can we stretch that out for 90 minutes and not just have it for 15 minutes? The margin of error is not long enough to, uh, is not, is not big enough to, have it only work for a period of time. Like you can't, you can't go like last year, what happened in the champions league was that that period came in when the bench mob came in. You and and it, for, by the grace of God, we all, we clicked enough in those 15, 20 minutes in the champions league in those, when the subs came in and it worked, but the margin of error is not going to be enough every time for us to repeat what we did last season. So my argument is you have to have, these players on the field from the beginning. And if you're going to save one or two of these players for the bench, you have to make sure that you juggle it in a way where the bench and the starters can all complement each other. So that's not just the bench coming in and saving the season uh, before it's too late. You can't rely on the bench to do that every time. So that, that so I think that's where the case that Mortage and Cruz City broken up a little bit. And Matt and I have been saying this for a long time. And the, I think the data backs this up. You need Rodrigo in from the start too, because um, I don't think you can. I'm writing about this now, but you have to right. give yourselves a better chance and increase the margin of error. I think, and and yeah, you, if if yeah. I may add, right, I've I've been listening to obviously the mailbags between you and Lucas. I I don't think Shuamani is uh, as bad as he's made out to be. I I, I do think that. He can be a solid uh, defensive mid. He's obviously more press resistance resistant than Casemiro has been over the years, uh, and this just reduces maybe to a little bit the dependence on Cruz uh, to play that bigger role in our build-up, right? And that just allows you to play a different kind of number eight uh, who can make those runs in the half space and uh, play a more sort of fast game in in that final third. Uh, offensively off the ball combined with Vinicius and that just gives us more options I, I think I think uh, I think I think you need that uh, at least on one side I think it, like because Cruz doesn't really do that I mean he does sometimes but it's not really his game it's but, very rare <laughs> so as so long as you have because Modric and Fede can do that and 
so long as you have it on one side. On the left side, if you have Rodrigo and Benzema on the field together, there's a less of a need to have Cruz do that together on the left side because it becomes convoluted. You need someone to hang deeper and play those vertical passes. Because Rodrigo, if you plays, he's naturally getting into the left half space and overloading the left side. As long as you have that happening on the right side too, I don't think it's that urgent to have it on the left side because Rodrigo and Benzema will naturally do that. Um, so it's I think it's as long as you have it on one side, I don't think it's necessarily that important to have it on both because, again... It's already happening, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, we got Brandon Stevens coming up. Brandon, you there? Yeah. Hey, um, I de I definitely want to be uh, sensitive in, in following that up because, like, the things that Mahan describes about Iran, like, that's not something that we in the West have to deal with in terms of media censorship. And like you said, like you said, that doesn't even that barely scratches the surface. Um, so I understand that, like, I think I'm going to ask this question of, with a bit more caution, because I understand that, like, in some parts of the world, like Real Madrid and this podcast, like, that's like what that's like the pinnacle of like what people have. And so I'm coming from like a very privileged position as someone that lives in the United States and New York and uh, roots for a whole bunch of teams. And, you know, sports is just entertainment. It's not like it, it is an escape, but it's not like the only escape that I have. So I think it's important for me to contextualize that and say, okay, like, what the question I'm about to ask, it's like not, it's not, it doesn't rise to, it will never rise to the same emotional level for me because I love sports. I love rooting for Real Madrid, but like it's not life and death. It's not the thing that takes my mind off of a dictatorship. It's, it's just, oh, you know it's it's been a long week can't wait to tune into the game but like i'm in a very privileged position where that is not you know it's not my be all end all so that's kind of what, how i want to contextualize that okay um with that said uh i like i've been a fan since 2013 and uh Except that's when I studied abroad. If anyone, you know, has heard my story before, I don't need to go into it all. And I have a I have friend I have friends that are fans of a lot of different clubs and including Barcelona, but I have Arsenal fan friends, Tottenham fan friends, like people who like really, really suffer at the hands of their club, like, you know. Tottenham fans haven't won a trophy. I don't know. Probably. I don't know that anyone has been a Tottenham fan, Tottenham fan long enough to win a trophy. I don't know that anyone, I mean, Arsenal fans, I have a lot of friends that are Arsenal fans. They're having a great year this year, but it's been rough for a long time. Um, as a Real Madrid fan, I've seen us win the Champions League five times out of nine years. So more than 50% of the Champions League campaigns that I've seen Not good are enough. 
needs to be needs to be 10 out of 10. I get I get that. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's just that, like. It it drives me crazy, you know, that the when we don't succeed against Barcelona, but I would still much rather be a Real Madrid fan than any other club. And it's not close, including Barcelona, who has it's it's it drives me crazy that they've kind of had the head to head advantage against us in the time that I've been a fan. I, I when I lived in Spain, I went to three Clásicos and we lost by a total of seven nil. I went to three Clásicos and I haven't seen Madrid score a goal. Um, so I hate Barcelona and I hate that we can't. Uh, match them head to head, but I would still much rather be a Madrid fan than any other club in the world. And so when, you know, it seems like the world is collapsing because we lose a Classico for a league campaign that we're pretty much out of anyway. Uh, like to me, it kind of drives me crazy. Like, it's like, can't we appreciate what we have because it's so much better than being a fan of any other club. Uh, but again, that goes back, back to what I was saying at the beginning. Maybe it's not as important to me as it is for people who don't have as much. And, and I think that's something that I need to take into consideration, but uh, I don't know where do you stand on like, how it stacks up against being a fan of any other club to be a fan of Real Madrid. Uh, so what you're saying is um, something that if I were to like, maybe rephrase it is that I think, I think a lot of Real Madrid fans are spoiled for, because of um, the amount of success the like the ratio of success we get is astronomically more than any other team you could argue in sports like i don't know that much about baseball oh. i assume the yankees like i don't um but even like or like a, what's that i'm a yankees i'm a yankees fan too and they haven't won a title since 2009 well, so like yeah like real or, madrid blows any american team out of the water in terms of consistency yeah. of success. like maybe the lakers uh have won a lot but even they don't win as much as real madrid do the uh, like we just we just win so much more than anyone else. Um, but I do feel like there is there is often a sense of entitlement with Real Madrid fans that it always has to be this, and that's why like I okay. So I'll just tell you like the when I was like thirteen up until like maybe twenty five, if Real Madrid lost or living in the Champions League, I was a mess. Like I was just distraught, world collapsing. I didn't care about anything in life. Over the years, I've learned like, well, hold on a sec. This is a little bit insane that our happiness lies in the fate of 11 men in a different part of the world kicking out around a, a ball. Like we have zero control over what happens. We can get angry. We can get happy. We have zero control. Over that. But how can something so out of our control affect our happiness? And I think... That's when I realized, like, hold on a second. Maybe we need. I need to find other sources of happiness. Maybe I need to, you know, just create other wins in my life so that if one aspect of my life doesn't go well, then you know, again, this is a privileged position, like as you said, you know, um, to be in. Um, but I completely understand why it would, you know, why it would 
effect because like just like anyone else i still get sad or happy based on on how they do but i i've i've just to just point out like as managing madrid i and all of us here we always felt that we need to be a little bit different you know we don't want and this is a patron call so they can stay between us but um like we don't we these aggregator accounts now that have popped up in the last couple years are just insane because it's just almost like these robots just tweeting 24 hours a day behind anonymous Twitter profiles with zero accountability of what they're spreading. And we've always like said, okay, like we can't, we can't have extreme takes. We can't really go overboard about something. We have to just kind of analyze what we see and just be different and focus on the tactics and focus on real reporting and real analysis. And, um, and for that reason, I think, if anyone comes to us to for an extreme take about like, because a lot of our criticism comes on like someone will come in with uh, a really favorite player or someone they really hate, and they just want to go through the podcast to hear criticism of the person they hate or praise for the pr- person they love. And if there's anything that doesn't meet that criteria. Like they just get so pissed off with us, and uh, either way, we we have to just come in and do our best to be completely objective. Um, and obviously, we're not completely objective. We do have our biases, and we do have our favorites. Uh, and I will always be biased towards like a Kamavinga or a Raul or whoever. I will always have that bias, admittedly. But we have to do also do our best to not go too extreme either way. And I'm probably just taking this out of context of what you're saying, Brandon. But I think the overarching point is that. Uh, I do think sometimes when we get really angry about something within the club, we do. It is important to remind ourselves that you know we've won so much. Uh, and I would trade a classical loss every year for a Champions League trophy, for example. I would do that every year, nine times, ten times out of ten, I would. Especially because it makes Diego so pissed off um, that he just takes away from his his classical trophy that every every time Real Madrid wins the trophy, but. Yeah, it's it's a long-winded way of saying I think it's it's okay to just sometimes cool down a little bit and uh, and just see what sh- what it, how it shakes out. Because if you remember at, after that four nil, I we were all just distraught, like we couldn't believe what we were saying. We need change. We need a new coach. And then months later, we won the Champions League in the most memorable uh, way possible. So. I think I, I guess the overarching point is we don't need to get too low or too high, and we just kind of need to stay, keep that baseline, and then just fluctuate a little bit here and there, but not go too extreme either way. Is the way I see it, you know? Totally. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that, and and that's just why I wanted to bring it up. Like, there's no need to act like the world's ending, you know, when we lose a classical, but then we go on to win the Champions League, or even if we don't, it's like, all right. Like, I'm still batting 55% in my entire fandom. And I know that's not everybody. People have been fans much longer than I have. And, but it's just like, I, I have gotten so much damn joy out of this club and, and, and heartbreak too. But it just makes me realize that if I'm heartbroken about a classical loss, imagine what my Tottenham fan friends go through or my Arsenal fan friends go yeah. through. Like, Expectations are a little bit lower, but yeah, def- I understand what you're sure, saying. For sure, for yeah. sure, and I get it, but I agree. I think the overarching point is sometimes it bothers me 
the sense of entitlement of the fan base. And this wasn't a criticism of managing Madrid. It's more just the people on Twitter that are like, we need to blow everything up. And, you know, like social media is accessible, man. It's gotten so bad. I, 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 it's, I I had to stop checking it and I just only post basically now, but uh, just one more point. Like when was the last time you won the champions league? Less than one Um, year ago. Yeah, about 10 months ago. <laughs> Do you want to know what Eduardo Alvarez went through? Like, who was a fan long before I was born? 32 yeah. years. 32 years. I mean, I don't right. think he's actually that old. But <laughs> anyways, the point is, between the title in 66 and title in 97 or 98, yeah. 32 years. Yeah, and, right. then after, uh, and then between La Novena and La Decima, 12 years. So right. it get it's been a lot. I, okay, so I think, and I don't know how long some of these people have been fans, but I do think some of the lack of extremism from me, for example, is because I literally saw a double pivot of Lasana Diaro and Fernando Gago, and I saw, I saw Pablo Garcia, I saw Thomas Gravison, I saw Carlos Diogo as our right back. I saw Ruben, the Castilla defender, crying on the field because he was so bad. He started crying on the field and he had to be taken off. I saw Francisco Pavon. I saw, uh, I, I just, I just saw so much darkness in my life with this. It's like, yeah, this is nothing. Like, it's nothing. Um, and I will also say, like, before Cruz and Modric came, the, our midfield, was just so bad for so long. You know, like when Chabi Alonso came, we had like a respectable figure in there that could actually have, he had some brains and some talent. Um, before that, it was just a mishmash. And you have to go all the way back to like, you know, we had, okay, we had Guti for a stretch. He was he was up and down. And then you have to go back to like the Seydorf, Laudrup days and Zidane a little bit later. Like we, now we have Cruz and Modric. And then we had a bunch of great depth when talking about signing all these great young midfielders, like it's just we're swimming in in just caviar right now compared to what it was. And I think that's part of the, my desensitization, desensitization, maybe lack of extremism for some of this stuff. But yeah, yeah, same same here. I've I've been really lucky that during the time that I've been a fan, that I'm like, all right, it's I hate Barcelona and I freaking hate when they beat us and I hate not winning the league title or the Copa del Rey, but it's like at the end of the day, we've got it really, really good. And and I uh, want to just acknowledge the comment on in, in the chat from Anthony. So true. The pressure yeah. keeps us great. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that is definitely important and it's important to have that, but like me, myself, and you know, it sounds like you agree. Like it, it's not the end of the world. And we've gotten so much joy out of it that like, you know, we can, we can, I'm not saying it's okay to lose to Barcelona, but you know, I, it doesn't have to ruin my week, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I think Anthony's point makes sense. Uh, The pressure is always forced the club to take action. Um, You know, uh, and, and it actually does for sure. The club listens to, to that kind of pressure. Like, I, I'm not saying that they listen to um, the Twitter accounts or anything like of that sort, but they do listen to 
um, the fans and, and white handkerchiefs and the pressure. Uh, we we know this factually, and Eduardo has spoken about this too, that these polls that run at, in Marca, like which player would you like to sign, are directly from the club. They want to know what the fan base is, is thinking. They listen to that pressure. Um, uh, and Ancelotti himself literally has talked about, you know, we, well, the fans did not like our our performance despite the win, so we have to play more attractive football. And he kind of fluctuates with that. He's spoken about it publicly. So that pressure obviously affects, uh, and also the pressure of the strength of the rival uh, has forced us, you know, the the whole, the pep, the, all those signings, Cristiano, Kaka, Xabi, Alonso, Benzema, and one summer in part were to do with, in response to Barcelona, right? So, uh, yeah, it, all that, like, just to, to to ground it back, it it's also important to be critical. It's But I guess it's the extreme takes we're talking about, mostly. Hey, guys. Um, uh, it's it's uh, I'm feeling the time is, like, since Real Madrid played, played the classical was, like, a month ago or something. I don't know why the time is very slow now. Uh, yeah, international this, break this, goes by uh, International slow, break, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been very slow. But uh, uh, I, I heard Rodrigo, like, during the... Uh, the uh, the uh, the um, the uh, Brazilian, I think it was an interview or something. When he was asked about uh, Carlo Ancelotti, he said he he's not because I saw I saw it in French. So let me just not uh, make a make a mistake by doing the traduction. He's not a, a tactical like maniac or something. He just uh, have some. Um, some general idea that he's tried to just yeah. break it down for us the easiest way. So uh, I don't remember I, the exact quote, but I, it was something like he doesn't yeah. really complicate things tactically. It's very simple. He thinks, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, and 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 back back in back in like um, recent history with Real Madrid, like even with Ashley in his first time when he was here, two thousand fourteen. 2013-14 uh, with Zidane with um, Mourinho I don't remember that our squad had as much of freedom as now I don't know is that good or not because the 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 the, the freedom that our squad our current squad which is a young talented squad have it leads to a lot of time to chaos we just don't know what's happening like everyone just don't understand what what we're doing. Just yep. do whatever you think is right. So, on the long run, because as a coach, or most of the coaches, the, the, yes, there are future um, things that you think of for the squad for the team. But the most important thing for your for you and you, for your job is to win next game. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing in your job. So, on the long run, I don't. I, do you think that this kind of freedom is gonna help these players in a in a in a two or three four years uh, from now be a better players or be a better individual players like as a, as a team? Because I don't think the freedom that Vinicius is having now is just get the ball, try to dribble, pass dribble two or three. You lose it, it's fine. We're gonna get back. We're gonna give it to you back. Try again. Try again. Try again. I don't think with Zidane that happens. I don't think with 
Mourinho, if he's, like he's finished now, even with Mourinho, with Nagelsmann, with uh, Tuchel, with wh whoever, he will not allow something like this to happen. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Uh, so I think the, the freedom thing is really interesting. Um, the freedom thing is not unheard of, uh, but I think it only works if you do it properly. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like Pep had this thing too, where Pep would say, we have a plan to advance the ball into the final third. Once we get the ball in the final third, basically I'm hands off. Those players are great enough to figure out what to do creatively. Um, Vicente Del Bosque, when we had Zidane, Figo, Ronaldo, and Raul, same idea. Um, those guys, they can, they're freaking Zidane, Figo, Raul, and Ronaldo. Like, what are you going to tell them? Um, they'll figure it out. But when the plan is Vinicius by himself, that you can't trust him with that. What is he going to do? You know, if it was Vinicius, Figo, Raul, and Ronaldo, yeah, I think it makes sense. But if it's Vinicius versus four defenders, it's not going to work. Um, also like you see little weird things like someone gets the ball in the wing, there's no one in the box and we just cross it to nobody. Like that's not a plan, you know, like that can't be happening or, or you get like Alvaro come on the field. Alvaro's this striker who's really good in the air. We've been crossing all game. He comes in the field and we stop crossing. Like there has to be direction in those situations. Like, okay. Guys, don't cross if there's no one there and cross if Alvaro's there. This happened all too often. I mean, this happened under Zidane too, to be to be fair. Uh, we would stop crossing when Jovic and Mariano got on the field, something like that, you know? So it's, um, yeah, there needs to be more direction in this sense. If you're going to have fluidity and freedom, then you have to have the pieces to do that. You can't just blindly do it. So it's a, it's a valid point.